The book of Psalms is a treasure, but how do the Psalms point to Christ? Hello and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid Rido from Kings Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand, and by our very special guest on the show this time, Ian Valancourt, who's here to talk about his new book from IVP into Varsity Press America called Treasuring the Psalms. How to Read the Songs That Shape the Soul of the Church. Now, Ian is Associate Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario in Canada, and he's the author of a number of books, including this one. Ian, hi, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Brent. Thank you. Oh, thank you for agreeing to join us. It's fabulous. Now, in what ways is the Book of Psalms a treasure? Well, <laughs> where do I begin? I love that in the book of Psalms, you've got the theology of the Old Testament set to set to music, set to their prayers, their songs. And so we're taught to sing and to pray our Godward, God-centered theolo- theological prayers and songs. We're, we're taught to sing and pray our tears. Um, we're pointed to Christ. There's there's so much. There's a, there's a narrative storyline in there that we can talk about. Um, a little later, but there's so much in there that's just like readily, wow, look at this. Just reading through it for the first time, it just feels like a treasure trove. You you encounter, okay, here's how to deal with deep disappointment as someone who worships the Lord. And you find very quickly that 50 out of 150 Psalms, roughly speaking, teach us to do that. And they even give us words to say, and then you, I, I remember the first time I ever read Psalm 22, and I was at Bible college. I was a fairly new Christian, been a Christian a year, and I couldn't believe it. It was, this is Jesus's words. Oh, but Jesus is quoting this. And I just, it was just this amazing, rich time in devotions um, in my Bible college dorm in Western Canada at the time. And anyway, we could go on and on, but it, it feels like in, in the introduction, I say, it just feels like a treasure hunter going with all the best digging and locating equipment available and gets to the location and there's masses of treasure on the surface of the ground. There's just so much there. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me is how the Psalms would have been performed originally. Do we actually know how the Psalms would have been performed well, or sung little, or, or whatever? Well, there, there's little hints, right? And And some of it has been lost and some of it hasn't. So we, we get this kind of responsive song where for he is good, for his chesed endures forever. Um, okay, this is a responsive thing. So we get that little hint that that is happening. And then a, a lot of the psalm titles there, you know, you get a footnote in your in your English Bible, probably a musical or liturgical term. We're not really sure what it means, but we we get the sense it's almost certainly a musical or liturgical term. And even though we don't know the, to the tune of the Doe of the Dawn, well, we don't know what that tune is anymore. It's been lost in the 3000 years since David wrote it or whatever. But even the fact that it is a song, and I think that's significant that, wow, this is a really sad song and I'm supposed to sing this. or I'm supposed to a prayer of David. I'm supposed to pray this. And so not always the specifics, but little hints. Probably performed by what we now know as a Jewish cantor and a choir. I mean, if the yeah, modern, Levitical song leader, right? Yeah, absolutely. And listening today to the to the history of uh, Jewish cantorial singing, which I absolutely adore, and when mm-hmm. they do when they do the Psalms, man, it is just so 
So incredible. Anyway, uh, Ian, I'm going to bring you in. What do the Psalms mean to you, Rito? We've never talked about the Psalms together, I don't think. No, we haven't. And, you know, I, I, can I, I also say Psalm 22 is my favourite Psalm as well, just the recursive mm-hmm. nature of reading the Gospels and going back and reading Psalm 22, I think is just so powerful that, that as, as you read it from beginning to end, you have to read it from beginning to end as well and not just pick out the little bit that Jesus uh, quotes. You need to understand the, ho- the whole the whole story of the Psalm, the narrative of that Psalm, which is quite beautiful. But for me, I, I try and read a Psalm every day. So that's the first thing I try and do every morning is is get up and read a psalm. I, th- I think it's the the full scope of human nature that you see in the psalms. There's joy, there's loss, you know. There's shouting at God. Why God do the you know those who rip people off? Why are they blessed? You know, kind of all of these things. But it's that constant coming back and saying God is faithful, pointing us back to His covenants, saying that He is a good God, and that that just kind of over and over and over again. I think it just reinforces. Uh, where our eyes need to be set. I think that's what David and the other psalmists are always doing is put your eyes here on God rather than on just around us in the environment that you're in. Put it on uh, on the divine. Mm. I think my favourite's the next one, Psalm 23, although I love 22, but 23 is just so special. Ian, how are the psalms arranged and are they arranged to tell a story? Well, the, when I first heard that idea, I was a little sceptical But then I just, as I'm reading and as I'm studying them, it seems to be that's the case, that they're not just this hodgepodge, like our hymn books in, in, you know, maybe I'm dating myself, but a hymn book, some churches don't, still have those, some don't, but um, they're arranged mostly by topic, right? So there isn't a, there isn't a story there. It's just the ones about God, the father, the ones about Jesus Christ, the ones about a resurrection and so on. But um, the Psalms seem to be, that although they're originally composed as individual songs, prayers, um, they seem to have been arranged under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's inspiration extended not just in the authorship of the original psalm, but in the but in the person or people who, responsible for shaping them into a book. And it seems to be a bit of a flow from, um, there's a number of things we could say about it, but it seems to be that there is a, a a story that is being told and a progression that's that's being told that kind of ends with it begins I'll, I'll say it begins with weeping david the tears of david as he reigns in tension and that's a real theme in psalms book 1 until four, until 41 and then we got the middle part reflecting on the exile in book 3 we've got book 4 yahweh reigns even when david does not and book five, the return of a new and better David. And there's this hope that one even better than David is going to come. And when you start to kind of see that those themes seem to be developed, even though you can't press it, there's individual Psalms, you know, uh, Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon there, we sat down and wept. I think that's 137. Anyway. It's Boney M, brother. That's that's what I know. Oh, is it Boney M? (laughs) That's the one they made. Well, that was a big hit when I was a kid, about 1977, really? by the Rivers of Babylon. It was at number one for... Rita, do you remember how... You probably before your time. He's going to be embarrassed by this question. How many weeks did Boney M's Rivers of Babylon stay at number one and on the charts in Australia? There's a question for you. I was definitely not alive at that point. It was so. something like 11 weeks or something in New Zealand. It was just ridiculous. Anyway, sorry, I interrupt. Carry on, Ian. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, there seems to be this narrative progression that these... Poems that have their own individual integrity, um, if you kind of 
step back and look at the major themes and progression, it seems to be progressing in, in that direction toward ultimately hope in a Messiah, we'd say. Mm. Yes, I'm going to keep coming back to singing the Psalms because uh, I love to, I love to, I, I don't think we do enough psalm singing. Well, Ian, you might do in, in the Presbyterian Church. We certainly say them every week, don't we? Um, to what extent are the first two psalms set as a gateway to the book, do you think, Ian? Well, the, the first psalm, you've got this theme of the word of God. And the second psalm, you've got this theme as the king is the son of God. You know, in Psalm 1, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and, and so on and so forth. And so it's this um, living out of that but his delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. And on his Torah, he meditates day and night. And, and it goes on about his rootedness, like a tree that's not going to be moved. And um, and then in, so this theme of the word of God, and then this theme of this, the king as son of God, and this celebration that it's through the king that salvation is going to be accomplished. And um, Jamie Grant even kind of observes that the king is the true Torah keeper. He is the the blessed one from Psalm 1. And so you got that kind of dual gateway to enter into what I what I've I call and I've heard other people call the life of praise out, out of Psalm 1 and 2. So we're supposed to we're supposed to say if we're rooted in the word of God, and especially if the king is rooted in the word of God, he will be blessed. Mm. And he'll be the instrument of salvation. Yes, you've already alluded to this, but I wonder how books one and two, which I think are Psalms one to seventy-two, if I've got that yeah. right, how yeah. are they concerned with the tears of David as he reigns in tension? Well, uh, a great bulk of them, especially in book one, is are of David. About I think about half in book two, um, but about you know maybe three quarters of those one to seventy-two are of David, a psalm type type thing. There's um, a real focus on historical David. You know, of the 13 um, historical superscriptions that give kind of here's the event in David's life um, that's going on when he's writing this. I think 12 of them occur in books one and two. I may have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure about 12 out of 13. And so you've got this focus on historical David. And there's a, a massively greater concentration of lament psalms early on. And just like in the book of Isaiah, where early on you've got oracles of judgment more concentrated and oracles of salvation near the end more concentrated, although both occur in both sides. In the book of Psalms, you see you seem to have this progression from lament to praise. But books one and two, you've got this focus on historical David, and I call him weeping David. He's uh, he, he he's a lamenting David. He's reigning in tension, and he, and we're we're meant to go back and read the narratives in First and Second Samuel, in particular First Samuel and see that he's reigning in tension. Um, he is the rightful king, and yet there's this tension because Saul and all, all this stuff. So, yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah, uh, Rito, I'm going to bring you in in a minute too. Um, but how uh, the other Ian, I've got two Ian's, Rito and It is Ian. actually quite confusing, Brent, <laughs> I just want to point that out. That that, that's all right. Say, I, will call, I, I, will, I will call you Ian, and I will call Rito Rito. How does that sound? Then there won't Perfect. be any confusion. That's Yes, I, I answered Ian. I'm you answer to Ian. Yes, that's fine. So you, it's all good, brother. So Ian, yeah. how is book three concerned with the exile? Do you think, and the loss of of kingship? Well, you've got Psalm eighty eight, and so uh, book three is Psalm seventy three to eighty nine, 
And it begins with this kind of why do the wicked prosper psalm? And but until I enter the sanctuary of the most high and and this kind of thing. So there's this why is this injustice happening? This incongruity. But they end, book three ends with Psalm 88, and it start it closes darkness as my closest friend. It's it's the darkest psalm in the Psalter, and it seems to be reflecting on the exile directly. But then in Psalm 89, you've got um the king, the crown of David in the dust, and this this lamenting the loss of kingship. You've got these lines, How long, O Yahweh? And it seems again to be a direct. So book three is ending with these two Psalms that are directly reflecting on exile. And then you go back and read book three as a whole, and it seems to be whether they're written for exile or appropriated, just like we might sing a song that was written on a different occasion, but we sing it and it's it's massively significant for this event in our lives. It seems like these um, lament Psalms have been reappropriated to reflect on exile. So there seems to be this focus on exile and loss of kingship in book three. Mm. Uh, we might as well continue right to the end of the, of the, of the Psalter. Book five, uh, Psalms 107 to 150. How are they concerned, Ian, with the return of a new and a better David? Okay, so David returns in book five, and you hear, you, you see little, you know, the superscriptions, the titles of the Psalms, well, they're telling us author information. David's heavily concentrated early in the Psalter, and you've got individual Psalms of David throughout. But then in book five, you've got a cluster of Psalms of David early, a cluster of Psalms of David late, a few scattered in between. So there's this hint that David's reappearing. And then you get looking at the hope that's being portrayed and how David is being portrayed. You've got four Psalms concerning the king, 110, 118, 132, and 144. And and then you get digging in, and this was actually the focus of my doctoral dissertation, was the portrayal of the figure of salvation, I call him, in book five. And instead of saying Messiah, I said, okay, or king even, I said, the one who's saving. So let's just let's just not even assume it's going to be a king. And I focused early in the book on Psalms 110 and 118, and it's just amazing that in 110, you've got this, you've got this king who's a human figure, but he sits enthroned at the right hand of Yahweh on the throne of the cosmos. So that's kind of bigger than the David of history. And then in, in uh, verse four of Psalm 110, he's a priest in the manner of Melchizedek. So he's not just a king, he's also a priest. And then in Psalm 118, it's not typically classed as a royal psalm. It's typically classed as a psalm of thanksgiving by form critics. But I, I think something has been lost there because we've got this narrative of a victory procession from the battlefield. This it's a, it is a Psalm of Thanksgiving, but the, the speaker in the Psalm is almost certainly the King. He's the focus in the battlefield. He's the focus of fighting. And, and um, it's, it's the King's job in antiquity to, to lead the victory procession from the battlefield. And so it's almost certainly a King celebrating Yahweh's victory through him, the stone, the builders rejected, who's become the cornerstone or capstone or whatever, the most important stone in the building. And he leads this victory procession through the gates of the city, through the gates of the temple, into the temple courts, and leads a responsive song of thanks. Well, that would have been the Levitical priest's job. And then he um, he quotes Exodus 15 directly, the song of Moses, the song of the sea that Moses sang right after the Exodus from Egypt. 
And, and we've got this hope in Deuteronomy of a prophet like Moses who will come. And then we've got this figure and there's no superscription in Psalm 118. We're meant to see who is this one. We're, we're meant to be on the edge of our seats trying to unfold who is this one who's brought salvation. And well, he's a king who leads the victory procession from the battlefield. He's a priest who leads the responsive song of thanks. And he seems to be also the hoped for prophet like Moses, at least some resonances with him. And those are hints. But then when we get to the New Testament and Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, it's you see that already in the Old Testament. You see that already in these Psalms. And and so that's why I say he's a new and better David. David in his life, yes, he acted like a priest. He he ate the showbread and he he um I believe it's Second Samuel 23. He has a naum, which is the technical Hebrew word same word used in Psalm 110.1 for a, a prophetic oracle. But the David, the the new and better David in book five of the Psalms is on another level. Uh, yeah. David is, you know, so that's gonna, what I say, new and better David. Yeah, I'm going to come on and ask you a bit about how the Psalms point, otherwise the Psalms point to Christ, because we need to do with it. But before I do that, Rito, come in with your questions, please, for Ian. What do we know how, about how the, the book was kind of brought together? Because it, it must have been written over quite a, a long period of time. So how did it actually kind of, how was it gathered? Do we know much about that at all? Well, we, in, I think it's chapter one of the book, I, I kind of unfold something of the process, but I also say it is likely that quite a bit um, because we don't know ultimately, like I, I've read a, a one commentary I'm thinking of, has it all mapped out, gives the years. I'm like, how do you possibly know that? <laughs> and uh and there's no way to possibly know that. And, but it's likely that, you know, David wrote a psalm, the ink is still wet. He gives it to the ASAF, his choir director. And I don't know who wrote the historical superscription, if David did, or if the choir director did, or someone later did, or what. But they would have been like gathered in the temple as a repository for these things. And they would have been used in temple worship. But then in time, you know, scribes are employed and they're copying these things. At some point, these Psalms that were meant to be, that were originally written as responses, responses of worshipers to God were also recognized as God's word to us. They're, they're, they're inspired in errant scripture. And, and so that's, and so then they're being copied up by scribes and they, it's, it's likely that scribes would have been involved with, okay, let's shape these into collections. And it's likely that early collections started. And it's likely that, and there's reasons for this, but it's likely that Psalms 1 to 72 were an early collection. We have Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, there's evidence that Psalms 1 to 72 was a collection and Psalms 73 to the end. And there's a whole lot of issues i I won't get into it's a quick podcast, but it seems that, you know, associated with first temple worship, Psalms 1 to 72 is likely being formed, maybe not finished, but being formed. But along a process that, you know, a book is taking shape. We don't know when Psalms 1 and 2 were added. Some people argue late because of the wisdom Psalm, Psalm 1, but whatever. But ultimately, you've got this process of shaping into a book. And it's likely that there's like many collections that would be gathered by a person or group, we call them the canonicler, that kind of shapes them into a book. And at some point in history, we've got this, we've got this book of Psalms mm -hmm. that um, comes. 
Yeah, yeah. Can I um, come on and ask you a bit more about a Christ-centred application of the Book of Psalms? Um, I'm a preacher on a Sunday morning, preaching on a psalm. What sort of things do I look for? How do I make that connection with the gospel and with the Lord Jesus? Well, in the part two of the book, that's what I'm dealing with. But um, and I call it gospel application that we're and when we're reading the Old Testament and when we're taking our cues from the New Testament, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hope. Right. And so that's maybe a first thing. Does the New Testament deal with this psalm? And if it does, we've got the inspired and inerrant answer key, as it were. I, I argue it's not the exhaustive answer key. It's not the only way this particular psalm or the psalms point to Christ, but it's the it's a very valid way. And so that's maybe the first thing. What does the New Testament say? And a couple other categories that are key. I, I want to think in terms of redemptive history. Where does this psalm? Where is this psalm plotted? in the history, in the storyline of God redeeming a people for himself. And how does that anticipate Christ in some way? I want to think in terms of typology, that especially through the authorship of the psalm, you know, that David is a type of Christ and Jesus is the new and better David. You know, how, how often in the gospels is he the son of David? Why is that? Because he is the ultimate son of David to come that's promised in 2 Samuel 7. And so we've got this Psalm of David and David is going to point to Christ in some way. That's, that's, that's how say Psalms 22 it's, it's typological. I get into a few other categories, typologically prophetic Psalms that it seems like in Psalm 22, the experience of historical David, um, what he's singing about transcends his experience. And it seems like he's consciously under the inspiration of the Holy spirit, typologically, prophetically anticipating one, his greater son to come. But those are some of the categories. I'm a, I'm a Sydney great honest guy. So I don't know you guys. I don't know if you've heard of Sydney great honest or maybe. Um... Uh, yes, I think I have Rito. Have you heard of him? Okay. I, I really appreciated his writings on preaching Christ from the old Testament. Yes. The only thing I don't like about that book I, I wish it was reading, finding Christ in the Old Testament, because it's not just for preachers, but just his hermeneutical categories. But I adapt them, I, I um, and I, ha I have a bit of my own take, but I was heavily influenced by him, by Graham Goldsworthy. And, well, as and we both were. I mean, Graham Goldsworthy was my teacher in biblical theology in the, oh, I think it was, I think it was his, yes, more. Uh, oh. he, was in, he was in his last year of full-time teaching when I was a first-year student. Um, it took me a while to catch on to what he was on about, but once I did, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It just opened the whole Bible to me. It was incredible. It's it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ian, uh, we're just about – sorry, we've got about five minutes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got about four or five minutes left. Ian, can I just bring you in to wrap up with final thoughts, questions? So, Rita, can I bring you in to ask f for final thoughts and questions before we close? Sure. Just, just one final question is when, when we read, you know, the first person I in the Psalms is who, how do we read that? You know, as a reader, uh, is it only ever referring to the Psalmist? Is it pointing, is it Jesus that, that kind of says that or can we identify with that as well? I say yes to all three. <laughs> yes. But there's a reason for that. I'm just not saying it willy nilly because the New Testament teaches us that Christ is the ultimate son of David to come. So it is ultimately, and we have to be, be discerning though. If David is repenting of sin, this isn't anticipating Jesus. In fact, there's a contrast. Great Donis has this category called contrast. 
And in contrast to David, who's sinful, Psalm 51, my Savior never had to repent from sin. In fact, he took my sin upon himself. And that's an opportunity for gospel application. But so, yes, it's David. Yes, it's Christ with discernment. But the Psalms are also meant to be directly appropriated by us. And so that last chapter in, in, in part two of the book, I talk about gospel application, and that's the Psalms point us to Christ. And so David's more than just like us. He points us to Jesus. And so I reflect on weeping David and weeping Jesus. But the Psalms are also meant to be appropriated by me in my own songs and prayers and my own giving me words, whether it's joy or pain or what, or anything in between an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And I call that direct application. And so I meant, you know, in direct application, we're saying, but in many ways, David is like us. We we can't just say, oh, I'm just like David. Well, he's the king in Israel. and he, But he is also a human being who lived in covenant with Yahweh, who experienced the joys and pains in life. And in many ways, I am a lot like David. David is a lot like me. And so I reflect on weeping David and the weeping Christian. And so I can appropriate, say, the words of Psalm 3 in my own night of weeping. If I'm at a hospital bed, if I if there's a time of desperation, these 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 prayers of lament, I can appropriate the words of the psalmist. So it takes discernment, but yes, to all three. Ian Valencourt, thank you. Uh, Ian, wonderful. The book from IVP America is called Treasuring the Psalms, How to Read the Songs That Shape the Soul of the Church. And I would say, having read a lot of books on the psalms over the years, that this would be one of the best introductions to the Psalms. If you want to really get into the, the Psalter and the Psalms and learn to understand more about them, get a copy of this. It's very good. Ian Valencourt, Ian, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Heritage Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. And thank you also to my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. And thank you to our sponsors, our creative team at Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian and Ian. <laughs> Ian and Rito, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.